Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Well, this is our very first episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. We are so excited to share with you about dealing with real relationship struggles, especially for people of faith. I'm Julie Sedanko, a freelance writer and former television and radio reporter and producer. I'm with Leslie Vernick. Leslie is a Christian counselor with over 35 years of experience. She's a national speaker, relationship coach, and the author of seven books, including the national bestsellers, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, and The Emotionally Destructive Relationship. Leslie, what made you so passionate about helping people with their relationships? So when I was eight years old, my mother decided she no longer wanted to be married to my father. And she moved in a tiny U-Haul trailer, our household into a one-bedroom apartment in Chicago. She took myself and my younger brother and sister. I got the couch. My siblings slept on sleeping bags on the floor. And she was now a single mom when single moms were rare. In addition to being a single mom, she was also an alcoholic and she had a mental illness, which I didn't know what it was at the time. I was only eight years old, but she acted crazy, angry, didn't make sense. Now I know it has a name. It's called bipolar. She would get manic. She never got depressed, but she got manic and she would do very odd things like burn cigarette burns on her arms and say all kinds of crazy stories that I knew at eight years old weren't true, but this was my mother saying these things. So I didn't know how to respond. And when I try to argue with her, I get slapped across the face or I get abused in other ways. So this went on for years and my father became increasingly alarmed when one day she, in a fit of rage, knocked my two front teeth and broke them. Over the years, he had become a Christian. He had remarried and he was petitioning the courts for years to get custody of us because of my mom's behavior. And when I was 14, he did. Finally, he got custody, which was rare 50 years ago for fathers to get full custody of their children. And my brother, sister, and I had to move to his house. And my mother only let us take the clothes on our back and our dog. And so we moved in with my dad, who had remarried a woman with three children of her own. And we had the Brady Bunch when the Brady Bunch wasn't even on TV yet. Uh, There was no talk about single family households merging into blended family households. So we began to try to figure it out. And I was angry, very, very angry, because I had figured out while I lived with my mom, she worked full time during the week and weekends, she was a Playboy waitress. And so I rarely saw her. And when I saw her, she was angry or drinking or checked out. And I figured that if I could clean the house while she was gone and she came home to a clean house, she'd be less angry and less likely to take it out on me. And then I had all kinds of freedom to do what I wanted to do when she wasn't home. So that worked for me until I had to go to school with my dad and had to follow his rules and go to church on Sunday and other things that I wasn't used to. I was used to getting on the L and going where I wanted to go in Chicago. And now I live in the suburbs where you couldn't go anywhere without a car. And so my life drastically changed. My first reactions was to be very angry and and scared. But over time, the stability of my father's life, getting three meals a day, I actually put on 15 pounds that I desperately needed. And I started learning in school and I started thriving. And I began enjoying church and I began learning about the Lord. And I finally accepted Jesus as my savior. And I really wanted to serve him. But I still didn't know how to talk to my mother. She was very toxic. She was still very mean. She didn't stay in touch with us very much. But when she did, there were always false accusations. There were craziness in her comments and the way she viewed the world. And she was just scary. I didn't invite her to 
my college graduation. I didn't invite her to my wedding because I didn't know how she'd act. I didn't know what she would do. She was unpredictable and sometimes just dangerous. So as I became more educated, I understood her problem more, but I couldn't fix her problem. Her problem was her problem. She drank too much and she had a mental illness and she would not get help for it. But my problem was I didn't know how to get along with my mother and I'm a Christian now. And not only am I a Christian now, now I'm a Christian counselor. I got my master's degree in social work, clinical social work, and I was a licensed therapist. I had a counseling practice, but I still didn't know how to get along with my mother. And I'm reading the Bible as a Christian, as a Christian counselor. And I'm saying, okay, the Lord tells me to forgive, but do I just forget? Like love keeps no record of wrongs, but does that mean I should forget that my mother is scary and Should I let her babysit my baby when she was cruel and abusive to me? I can't forget that. She's not repentant of that. She's not any different. She's still drinking too much. She's still crazy and not taking her medicine. How do I reconcile this with honor your father and mother and love keeps no record of wrongs or love believes all things? Um, How do I trust her again? I can't trust her again. I know she's not trustworthy, but yet the Bible says, And so I began to get to be really an expert in what the Bible didn't say, that people told me it said. And I began to understand God's heart for relationships. And God loves relationships. Every single one of the Ten Commandments has to do with relationships. And he knows relationships are important to our well-being. If you look at the Old Testament, when Jewish community was starting to be built, when Abraham and the Jews and Moses took the Jews out of Egypt and they began to build community, Much of Deuteronomy and even Exodus talks a lot about how to get along with other people. And when you wrong them or when you make a mistake, even if you didn't intend to, for example, there's a funny story that says, you know, if your ox escapes your yard, your fence breaks down and your ox gets out and that ox harms your neighbor's fence or your ox harms your neighbor's other ox, you have to make amends to your neighbor. And if you knew that your ox was a bad ox, who tended to break out of your yard and you didn't put enough safeguards or boundaries around that, then you needed to pay double or triple to make restitution for the impact that your ox had on your neighbor. So I began to realize that God was very concerned about the impact of people's sin on others and the harm that that caused the relationship. And I no longer felt that burden that somehow I had to fix this relationship all by myself. And that totally changed the way I began to approach counseling because traditional Christian counseling and Christian advice to those stuck in destructive relationship issues was somehow, if you were the bigger person, if you forgave, if you forgot, if you showed grace and you showed mercy and you showed patience and kindness, somehow this relationship would be restored. And my relationship with my mother wasn't restored. It wasn't restored when I got married, it wasn't restored when I had children. I didn't even see or speak to my mother for 15 years because of some of the things that she did. And was that okay? Were boundaries allowed? There was no book on boundaries at the time. And so I had to do a lot of digging in God's word and a lot of work with God on myself to understand what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility. What can I do for as much as it depends on you, Paul says, be at peace with people but it doesn't just depend on me. And so I think that my own personal experience and my own personal quest to understand my relationship with my mom and can I even have a relationship with my mom? Do I have to have a relationship with my mom even though I'm commanded to honor her? What does that look like practically? Really drove me to ask a lot of questions personally and it impacted my ministry professionally. The second thing that really impacted my 
decision to write that book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, was that coming from a family with a history of uh, mental illness. So my mother had bipolar, but her mother had postpartum depression. In fact, when my mother was born, her mother went into the mental hospital and never got out for her entire life. She lived the rest of her life in the hospital. I didn't know that. I was always told my grandmother had died in childbirth, but the truth was that she was depressed and never got out. So I was writing a book on depression because I struggle with that as well. I don't struggle with the manic part. I struggle with more of the the blues a lot. And so I was getting some success and doing what I need to do to beat the blues or counter some of the negativity of some depression that I struggle with. And I was writing this book on depression. I was counseling hundreds of Christian women and talking and speaking about this topic. And what I discovered as I was talking to them is that the number one cause of many of their depression feelings and depressive episodes was a destructive marriage. These were Christian women in the church. And the best advice they were getting is suffer for Jesus and, you know, go the extra mile and forgive and forget and love covers a multitude of sins and love believes all things and bears all things and hopes all things. And these women were dying inside. And as I was writing my book on depression, I'm thinking, is the best answer we have to offer these women a pill and suck it up for Jesus? Or is there something else they can do when they're in the midst of a destructive relationship, whether it's with a toxic parent or a toxic friend or a toxic spouse? And so I began to dig deeper into especially the marriage relationship, because I think we've used the sanctity of marriage as sort of a a sacred cow in Christianity, much like the Pharisees use the Sabbath, and that's untouchable. We can't talk about that. And so I began talking about that and began to look at what keeps a marriage alive and what breaks it apart. And if it's broken, is it fixable? And how do you fix it? Because we've just been like the prophets of old where God warned Jeremiah when he said, you promise my people peace, peace, but there is no peace. And sometimes our Christian counsel has been woefully inadequate in these horrible, destructive relationship patterns. Leslie, I am so thankful that you made the journey from a terrible victim of child abuse to doing the hard work of healing and writing such an important book because I'm one of so many people that benefited from it. I remember years of frustration and anger in my own marriage, going from counselor to counselor, marriage intensives and retreats, and and getting nothing that really helped. One evening, I got a hold of your book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, And in the beginning, there's a test that you take and you score it, and it'll tell you if you're in a destructive relationship. Well, I took that test and I scored it, and I felt kind of almost smug when it said that I was in a destructive relationship. It was like, I knew it. I knew he was destructive to me. Now, I don't hear God speak to me all that often, but that night, his voice was so clear. I was to take that test again and answer the questions the way my husband would. So I did. I retook the test and answered the questions, not according to my truth, but according to his truth. And when I scored it, he had more of a destructive marriage than I did. Now, I didn't think that was reality, but that was his reality. And that really impacted me to the point that I went upstairs and got on my knees and I asked God to forgive me because I had to face the fact that I had become a destructive person. I was so angry. I was so frustrated and I was so desperate for my husband to get it and he wouldn't. So I would get more blunt and more angry until I became a person that I just didn't want to be. So that led me on a journey of finding your ministry, 
finding the conquer ministry that you have. And I've been able to really learn how to grow myself because it's not just about fixing the other person. It's about the fact that we all have our own work to do, even if we're married to a destructive person. And that's why I think this podcast is so important. Yeah, you know, once I got my master's degree in counseling and could figure out what my mother's problem was, oh, I see, she's an alcoholic and she's bipolar. Now I know what I can do to help her. Guess what? She wanted wanted nothing of that, that I had no power to fix her problem. I could name it, but I couldn't fix it. And so many people that I talk to, so many women, so many men can see the problem in the other person crystal clear. Um, It's not hard to see. And we try to help them. We try to fix it for them. We try to do their work. And we can't do someone else's work any more than if your husband or your wife was a diabetic and you knew that they were eating unhealthy, you could cook the food, but you can't make them eat it. And you can't make them not eat chocolates or Doritos or drink a beer at night, even though they shouldn't. That's their work to do. And so this was really clarifying for me with my mother, because for so long, even after I you know, was educated and I was this counselor and I thought, okay, now I know what my mother needs. She needs counseling. She needs to go to AA. She needs some medication for her manic episodes. I had no power. I had no influence to get her to do any of those things. But what I was ignoring in my quest to help her with her problem was I was ignoring my own problem. And my own problem was this. I was never going to get the kind of mother that I wanted. I was never going to get the kind of grandmother I wanted for my children. I didn't have that power to make her be what I wanted her to be, or even what I thought she could be if she could get help. I can't make her that. And I, and I was mad that she wasn't willing to do the work to be what I wanted her to be. She didn't want to do those things. I was also full of resentment for what she had done to me. And my work was to deal with that resentment, not to fix her. And I was so focused on trying to save her and solve her problem, but I was completely ignorant that I had my own work to do of forgiving what she did to me, not forgetting, but forgiving, recognizing and grieving my loss that I'm not going to have this happy little Walton family that I wanted. I'm not going to have the kind of mother who's going to babysit my children or help me at Christmas time or even have Christmas with me. I'm not going to have that kind of mother. I didn't have Mother's Day with my mother for years and years and years. In fact, finding a Mother's Day card for a bad mother is an occupation somebody could do, right? Mother's Day cards that say, have a nice day without all the flowery words, because (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty tough to find a Mother's Day card that just says, have a nice day. And I have a friend that's just recently doing that and she's really struggling. And so she sent flowers and I don't know if they make black roses or not, but (laughs) it's tough. It is tough. And so, and so here's where you feel this dilemma. I'm supposed to honor my mother. So I want to give her a card for Mother's Day or do something, but I don't want to lie and pretend either. And there's that glitch in Christianity. Sometimes we're, especially as women, especially in a marriage, somehow we're supposed to kiss our enemy that Jesus says we have to love our enemy and do good to our enemy. But if our enemy happens to be our spouse, kissing them or sleeping with them feels abusive. Yes. And so it's so hard and we don't talk about these hard realities out loud. And we're going to do that here because we're going to do relationship truth unfiltered. We're going to talk about these hard realities out loud. And so I had to do my work. You had to do your work. And this is part of the things that Jesus tells us that we can see the speck in our brother's eyes. That's easy to see what's wrong with them. But 
Oftentimes that reveals some things in our own lives, the log, Jesus calls it, that we have work to do for ourselves. doesn't mean we don't speak into someone else's life, but we can't do that with any kind of efficacy or even power and influence if we still have a log jam in our own life. And so doing our own work is part of what this podcast is about, because we can name the problem out there, but there's also a problem in here. And maybe we're too passive. Maybe we're too afraid to speak up. Well, that's our problem. And we need to work on that. Or maybe we keep placating and pleasing and pretending, thinking that's biblical peacemaking, but that's not biblical peacemaking. That's peace faking. And we have work to do to have more courage, more strength, like Esther did, to speak up against what's wrong. And so I'm just so excited about starting this podcast so that we can really help those who want to honor God with their lives, but have real relationships, authentic relationships, good relationships, and those relationships that are broken, how to fix those relationships in healthy ways. We're going to talk all about that in this podcast. Leslie, would you please pray for our listeners? They're going to be going on a journey of awakening, of realizing some very difficult truths of maybe grieving some losses and just pray that they would be ready to hear, ready to grow and that God would do a work in them and in their relationships. I'd be happy to. Lord Jesus, we know that your heart is all about relationships. You came because you love us and you desire a relationship with us. And you created us to have relationship with one another. You said to Adam, it is not good for you to be alone, even though you had a great relationship with Adam. You desire us to have human companionship. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help the listener today feel a spark of life-giving truth in his or her innermost being, that they want to be healthy. They want to be true. They want to be authentic to who they are and to what you want, but they don't want to pretend and placate and pacify destructive people. You don't call us to do that, Lord. And so I pray that you would just bless this podcast, bless the listener. Lord, give them a sense of hope. Give them a sense of your care for their relationship struggles, that you have real answers, not just band-aids to put on their deepest, most painful problems. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all for this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Right now, I invite you to head over to leslievernick.com forward slash challenge to be part of our Moving Beyond Challenge. Learn how to move beyond overwhelm, negative thinking, and even the fear of failure. That's lesliebernick.com forward slash challenge. And if you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to hit that follow button. And we would appreciate if you would leave your honest rating and review of this podcast. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.